0: Lord God you've given us this beautiful day after rain and wind and chaos you bring peace and quiet light the glory of creation music in the songs of the birds and then you bring us inside and we see the glory and light of your love and grace on the faces of our fellow worshipers we hear the music of our souls and the choir and the praise team we We are so, so blessed, Lord, today as we sit in comfort and prosperity and peace. And so we give you thanks, Father, for all of these things that are so easily taken for granted. A roof over our heads, uh, food on our tables, shelter from the storms, friends and family to help us through difficult times, jobs resources so many things we take for granted lord so we humbly apologize for not giving you enough credit today we want to say lord thank you we praise you we honor and glorify you today for the simple love that you give us every day and manifest little things of course, we are mindful, Lord, as we worship, as those who just can't help it, that you have given us your grace in a way that has saved us for all eternity. You have given us your Lord, uh, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as a savior and now leader of our lives. You, you have given us hope that goes beyond the chaos of the world and the sin, hope that takes us into paradise with you, and hope of a time when all is as it was meant to be and more. Lord, you give us comfort and joy through a gift that we didn't deserve and did not earn that results in our our forgiveness for the passing over of a just wrath that we deserve. We give you thanks then, Lord, that. If that were enough, it would be great, but you give us even more. You give us new life in Christ as born-again believers filled with the Holy Spirit. You give us the opportunity to live a life full of richness and meaning that's beyond our comprehension, but we strive for it together, Lord. And we share this journey in this place we call the church, this family of faith you have made us. As born-again believers, we've become sons and daughters of the of the Father and therefore brothers and sisters with each other. And so we express our love for you and our love for each other, Lord. In that spirit, we recall the various needs that are brought to our attention each week. We remember those who have invited us to join them in prayer for their sickness and injury, for their challenging and difficult times in life, for their financial worries, for their their family worries, for social and emotional and other kinds of of needs that are difficult to frame, but not unknown or understood by you. Lord, we pray for the harmony of the church. We pray for unity as a family of faith, as we strive to do your will, and we struggle with differing opinions and difficult decisions. We, We Trust, Lord, that you are at the helm and that you lead our leaders and our leaders lead in your name. And this is the hope and the conviction that we operate by, Lord, believing that you are in charge. And so we trust you, Lord, even when your ways don't always make sense to us, even when the answer to our prayer is not the one that we told you we wanted, but we trust you and we love you And we sing your praise today. And finally, Lord, because these prayers are always inadequate and seldom cover everything, we take great comfort in knowing that our Lord Jesus has given us words that define prayer for us and words that we can speak in his name, even his voice. And so together we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, All right, today's lesson, today's message comes to us from the Gospel of John, from chapter 16. If you would like to read along with me, you can turn to John chapter 16, starting at verse 25 now. And if you're using one of those pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1073, 1073, verse 25 is in the left column near the bottom. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today's scripture follows the previous two Sundays in a sort of chronological order. Jesus is preparing his apostles for what is about to come down. This passage is often referred to as the farewell discourse. It's believed that Jesus was speaking these words to them on that same occasion when he offered the Lord's Supper, as we recall it. And it is a sort of statement of preparation. He's inviting them to be aware of how things are going to be the same and how they're going to be different after this transition. If you recall from the reading in chapter 15, we heard that Jesus considers his disciples as friends. He doesn't think of them as servants, but as friends. And so we talked in, at length about what friendship means and the idea of friends being more than, than just casual acquaintances. And Jesus is inviting them to experience his leadership and love as an act of, of grace and, and, in that sense, a way of preparing them for what is to come because he loves them and he doesn't want them to be unprepared. And when you think in those terms, your friends are the ones who advise you where the messes are and how not to step in them, right? That, that's what he's saying to you. And then we read in John 15 in the later verses from 18 to 25 that Jesus Reminds the disciples that because the world hates him, it's going to hate them too. That because you love Jesus, the world hates you because it hated him first. And so he's letting you know that to follow Jesus will come at a cost, that you're going to suffer. And it's not because of anything more or less than the fact of your love for him and the fact that the world hates him. To put it another way. Jesus informs us that by default, the world hates him. You have to choose to love him and you have to embrace what that means. And so we come to understand last week that that if we're really committed to our relationship with Jesus Christ, that it'll show. And it'll show to the extent that there will be hatred directed towards us because of it. Saying that though, we also remembered that question we asked, would, would you, if you were to ask your friends, you know, or people you know, if they hate Jesus, would any of them say, yeah, I hate Jesus? Well, probably not. And in the same way you could ask those friends, well, do you love Satan? And they would say, no, I don't love Satan. Of course not. And so last week we understood that this, this word hate means hate, but it also is Jesus's way of saying to us that the default attitude towards him is ultimately hate if hate is defined in resistance and a determination to do what you think is right rather than what Jesus thinks is right then hate comes pretty easily to mind and so we recognize that for us to really be faithful followers of Jesus Christ means we embrace the inevitable hatred that the world has towards him and the world is this sort of social order governed by pride, and mindless disregard for God. So today's reading tells us that that world has been overcome. That Jesus is done speaking metaphorically, now he is speaking plainly. And he says that he's telling them this because he doesn't want them to fall away. Think about that. He knows what's coming, <clears throat> but they don't. They think they know, but they really don't have the, the, the historical perspective that we have. A few moments ago we were talking about this in the Sunday school class, and what we realize is, is that we've been the beneficiaries of generations and generations of understanding and interpretation of the reality post-resurrection. We interpret Jesus and Jesus' sayings as those who understand better what they mean than those who were hearing them for the first time. So let's give the apostles a little break. Let's cut them a little slack here. They don't know what he means. They're trying to grasp what he means, but they don't know. And so when he says to them, I'm, I'm speaking plainly with you now. They say, sure, now we get it. It's about time. All this mystery, Jesus. Why do you have to be so mysterious? Why can't you just say it like you mean it? And thank goodness you're ready to do that. So they tell him that. And then he says, because you'll scatter. <laughs> if I tell it to you straight, you're going to be gone. Just like that. Well, we know what happened. We've seen the movie. We know how this goes. They scatter. Peter denies him. One takes off naked because he doesn't want to be caught. So he's not anxious to get his act together so that he can be uh, a little better prepared for running away. He's just running. Going to run till judgment overtook him. You remember that Jerry Clower story? So what Jesus is saying to them is, is, I'm speaking plainly to you, but the truth is going to frighten you. And the truth is, is well, he's been saying, it is that the world hates you because it hated him first. And that you will suffer because of him. That your relationships will be affected by your relationship with him. The truth is, being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a disciple, that is one who subjects yourself to his teaching and his leadership, comes with a cost, and the cost, well, for some in the world, even today, is death. It is physical torture and death. But for most of us, it's, it's more relational suffering, isn't it? We're, we're caught in everything from distorted relationships with the people that we depend on. For example, our families are sometimes disrupted because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes our work relationships are affected negatively because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And more often than not, our own inner sense of peace and tranquility is affected because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes you call it a moral dilemma, but what it really comes down to is, is you're confronted with this decision you're trying to make about how to respond to certain worldly affairs. And because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's quite a conundrum for you. And so we suffer sometimes suffering that is all within ourselves. Sometimes we're all alone in that suffering. Nobody's torturing you, but you're torturing yourself because you're having this spiritual warfare inside over obedience and submission to Jesus Christ. When Jesus says that's why he keeps it simple, he means because the truth is frightening. Now, when Jesus says that he's going to return to the Father, this is frightening to them. This is frightening because they've gotten really used to having this superhero as their close personal friend. They've gotten used to seeing the miracles and the mountaintop glory. They've gotten used to seeing that he can do anything, even raise the dead. And so when he says that he will have to die and rise again, they really can't wrap their minds around that because they can't imagine this superhero, effectively, not saving himself from the power of this world. They can't conceive of how he would submit himself to their earthly authority and suffer the torture and death that they have in mind for him. And even today, we can't wrap our minds around everything that he endured as a part of our redemption. They didn't understand any of it. We only understand some of it. And what we can agree on with them is that we don't want it to happen. It doesn't sound good to us that Jesus would submit himself to a cross and be nailed to it. And what's worse is that it might, in effect, be us driving the nails into him. In effect, because the whole purpose of his suffering is so that my sins would be forgiven. He's taking a punishment I deserve. And he's inviting me to put my punishment upon him, in effect, driving the spear into his side myself. That's a truth I'm not really ready to embrace. I'm not really comfortable with that. That creates a conundrum. So that even the decision to accept Christ's gift of salvation is one of these costs. Because when you go to accept that gift, you're going to suffer. You're going to have to admit that you're a sinner, that you have fallen short of the glory of God simply because you don't always embrace God's truth and you choose your own way. Because sometimes you think you can do certain things your way and sometimes you think you need God's help and you pick and choose which is which. And so this self-determination becomes in itself a crime against God so that one, One thing all of us have to acknowledge is that we're never 100% for God. Sometimes we're against our Creator. That's sin, that's it in a nutshell. So admitting that I'm a sinner is, is a painful part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And rebirth, well, you know, ask anyone who's experienced giving birth and they'll tell you that birth is a rather painful process. It's worth it, but it is difficult. And so when we're born again, we go through this painful process. You know, the problem is the baby can't tell you, but generally I'm pretty sure that's why they're crying when they're born, because it hurts. You know, it just hurts. Therefore, pain becomes a natural part of the spiritual journey of following Jesus with faithful determination as his disciple. Jesus says, though, take heart because I've overcome the world. In that Sunday school class, we talked a lot about what did Jesus mean by that statement, I've overcome the world. And the truth is, is we can probably give a variety of answers that would all be acceptable, but I believe in this particular context, he means that he has overcome evil, that he has overcome the ruler of the world. We call him Satan, the accuser, the one who questions God, About everything and trust God with nothing. Jesus says that He has overcome the world. Therefore, if we follow Him, the world does not overcome us. Fair question, though. Does that mean that I won't have trouble in the world? Does that mean that I won't get robbed, that I won't catch some sort of sickness or develop some sort of disease or be a victim of violence or terrorism or war? Does it mean that there won't be famine and, and earthquakes and all of that? No, it doesn't. Apparently not. I haven't seen that it means that. So what does he mean when he says through him we are overcoming the world? It means that Satan isn't in control. It means that our decisions and our choices are not being driven by Satan. It means that the world may seem as though it's given over to his leadership, but it isn't. He's a a dictator whose authority is waning. And the rule of Christ... Is winning therefore when he says he's overcome the world he means it he means that through him we are overcomers not always without difficulty and strife but always certain of his righteousness that saves me so that I am welcome in God's presence In my thought and prayer and the presence of the Holy Spirit and in life and in his presence literally when I die. That I'm part of his plan of redemption for all of creation that is yet to be completed. The overcoming of the world means that before him there was no hope. For most people anyway. Because of him there is great hope. And it is that hope that we celebrate every time we come together. The irresistible urge to worship God because we can't help it is derived from the hope we have in Jesus Christ. The sure and certain hope of our redemption and our love from God and our ability to experience God's presence. The sure and certain hope that when I die, I will be in God's presence. The sure and certain hope that when Christ comes again, All of the plans God has made will be fulfilled. And this gives me a reason to be positive about life even when life isn't easy. It gives me a reason to see my enemies or those people who hate me because they hate Jesus as victims. Victims of an evil dictator named Satan. And to feel pity for them. And to show them mercy. And to love them. It gives us a vehicle of deliverance, not only for ourselves, but for others, because of the power of God working in us to transform our very nature, so that today we're more than we were yesterday in the Spirit of God. That's a short interpretation of the passage that we read today. The long term is a journey that we've been on for months of seeking to know Jesus Christ to really understand who Jesus is and to really get better acquainted with everything Jesus has to offer us and everything Jesus says and does that redeems us so when we celebrate communion today we're remembering his act of grace and mercy as it was expressed by him on that night before he died and then we enact it in our own way so that we experience God's grace anew, not a, a, a renewal, but simply an, an, an increased sense of God's presence and our commitment to God, our submission. Communion presents you with another conundrum, doesn't it? Is this God's way of communicating and connecting with us in a spiritual And sacred way thus a sacrament it might hurt to find out you might have to accept what most of the people around you accept even if you're not sure on the other hand you might come to believe that what you're experiencing through the Holy Communion is the consumption of bread and grape juice but more than that it's a confession that Christ's body is the flesh that paid the price for the sin of your flesh and that God has used his blood as a sign of atonement so that God's wrath passes you over. And perhaps when you come and receive in that spirit, this becomes once again, or perhaps for the first time, a statement of faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord. In order to make ourselves ready, let us pray. Holy God, source of all life, You promise to set us free from paths of fear, doubt, and denial, yet we resist your invitation, seeing only what we must give up if we are to follow the path of Jesus. You call us to have faith in your sustaining presence and power, but your call takes us beyond anything we can see or touch. We fear placing our trust in things beyond our control. We doubt that you can bring water to the dry places of our lives or replace our suffering with joy. Forgive us when we turn away from your promise of abundant life. Heal us and lead us home, Holy One, amen. Whenever we seek to leave behind our old ways, and turn to God for help. God forgives our faithlessness and strengthens us for the journey ahead. We are the heirs of God's promises. We are the children of God's compassion and mercy.